Wednesday the 11th of October. It's the Feast of Pope St. John the 23rd. And with everything going on in the world today, let's pray a prayer he wrote for peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, who are called the Prince of Peace, who are yourself our peace and reconciliation, who so often said, Peace to you, grant us peace. Make all men and women witnesses of truth, justice, and brotherly love. Banish from their hearts whatever might endanger peace. Enlighten our rulers that they may guarantee and defend the great gift of peace. May all peoples of the earth become as brothers and sisters. May longed-for peace blossom forth and reign always over us. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Pope St. John the Twenty-Third, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along on this Wednesday morning, the 11th day of the month of October. We're just flying through October. Dr. Matthew Bunsen is going to be along this hour. He's going to talk more about Pope St. John the Twenty-Third today. We'll catch up with Father Rob Jack as well. Also, Gary Zimak, who's been walking through the Psalms with us today. We're going to discuss some penitential psalm stuff. And then Dr. Dan Keebler has got a new season of the Purposeful World podcast that he's doing for Father Robert Spitzer, along with Catherine Hadro, and it's a pretty cool podcast, and they're doing discussions of all kinds of sciencey things, including stuff on a Catholic perspective regarding the environment and creation. So please do stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Republican and Democratic lawmakers are introducing a bill to provide $2 billion in aid for Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system. Democrats Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey and Brad Schneider of Illinois, along with Republicans Claudia Tenney of New York and Max Miller of Ohio, introduced the bill yesterday. Iron Dome is a system that intercepts rockets fired at Israel. Lawmakers from both parties have vowed to support Israel, but Congress cannot act because there is no House Speaker after Kevin McCarthy was removed last week. Republicans are scheduled to vote on a new speaker today. Meanwhile, U.S. officials are investigating whether some of the Hamas militants who carried out the shocking attack on Israel got advanced training from Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. They're also looking into whether Hamas used recent protests by Palestinians along Gaza's border fence to plant explosives used to break through the Israeli barrier last weekend. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said yesterday that Iran was, quote, complicit in the attack that was far more sophisticated than past Hamas operations. In addition to his public calls for peace in the Holy Land, Pope Francis has also been making actual calls into Palestine to check on the small Christian population there. 
from Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Pope Francis is constantly following what is happening in the Gaza Strip, reaching out to the small Christian community by telephone earlier. Parish priest Father Gabriel Romanelli told Vatican News about the phone calls. Father Romanelli is currently in Bethlehem and in constant contact with the faithful. Speaking with Vatican News early Tuesday afternoon, he said the Pope had just called him a few minutes earlier and that the Pope expressed his closeness and offered his prayers. Father Romanelli said, We thanked him for his calls for a ceasefire and a stop to all violence, all terrorism, and all war. He added that the Pope wanted to show his closeness and get in touch with the Christian community there through his vicar, who is assisting refugees in the parish. The Gaza Parish is home to around 150 people who have lost their homes or are seeking a safe place from the bombardments. Although, as Father Romanelli explains, the raids affect the entire area. There have been no deaths so far in the Christian community or damages. In all of Gaza, there have been over 770 deaths reported and 4,000 injured as a result of the Israeli raids in response to the terrorist attacks by Hamas on October 7th. Pope Francis also called yesterday, the parish priest recalled, explaining that the Pope wished to know how the people and the parish were doing. And Father Romanelli said the Pope imparted his blessing so that everyone may experience the closeness of the church. I'm Christopher Wells. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky made a surprise visit to NATO headquarters today. Zelensky's visit came as top NATO defense officials are considering how many more weapons the West can give Ukraine in its war against Russia and for how much longer given the new war between Israel and Hamas. Zelensky has been appealing to Western allies to continue providing Ukraine with aid and weapons since Hamas attacked Israel early Saturday. Hurricane Lydia is making landfall in Mexico as a Category 4 storm. Mark Mayfield reports. The National Hurricane Center reported that Lydia slammed into Puerto Vallarta on Tuesday evening and is expected to bring up to eight inches of rain to the area. The NHS called the storm extremely dangerous and warned residents flash floods and mudslides are possible, especially along the coast. The Hurricane Center has sustained winds of around 140 miles per hour, and the storm is moving northeast at 16 miles per hour. I'm Mark Mayfield. The U.S. bishops are launching a national Catholic mental health campaign. They did so yesterday on World Mental Health Day, which seeks to raise awareness and remove stigmas associated with mental illness. The bishop said in a statement, quote, As pastors, we want to emphasize this point to anyone who is suffering from mental illness or facing health challenges. Nobody and nothing can alter or diminish your God-given dignity, end quote. And the Texas Rangers completed a three-game sweep of Matt's Baltimore Orioles with a 7-1 victory in Game 3 of the ALDS yesterday. Texas advances to its first AL Championship Series appearance since 2011. In Minnesota, meanwhile, the Houston Astros took a 2-1 series lead with a 9-1 takedown of the Twins. Game 4 will take place today. In the NLDS, the Atlanta Braves visit the Philadelphia Phillies and the Los Angeles Dodgers visit the Arizona Diamondbacks today. The D-backs are up on the Dodgers 2-0, while the Braves and Phillies are tied at one game apiece. All right, so Anna Mitchell, I'm just going to bring sorry, in— I'm sorry, Matt. I'm going to bring in Paul Lockman just very briefly. You well, know, Matt, you got new glasses. I do have new glasses. Wow. Uh, but I still can't see into the future regarding the baseball playoffs. But Paul Lockman— who did I say privately off the air I thought was going to win it all this year? Uh, Minnesota Twins. No, that's not true. Who did I say? I'm not exactly sure. 
You're, you're, put, you're putting me on the spot. I said the Baltimore Orioles. He doesn't remember. I said the Baltimore Orioles were going to win it all this year. Mm. Swept. Nice try. Swept in fairly, fairly brutal fashion. Yeah, seven to one. That's yeah. painful. Well, they had a, they had a bad weekend too. Yeah. It was just not good. It was not good. I like your glasses, man. Yeah. Anybody get... watching the live stream knows what I'm talking about. So I had to get these glasses because Anna Mitchell, uh, turns out that if you get lights in your face because you got to be on camera in the morning, it's different than if you're just on radio. So uh, I have trouble seeing a little bit with all that stuff going on. So I have to wear the reading glasses, but the reading glasses are ones that I got in like an eight pack from Costco or something. Neat. And uh, I all liked you see those is glasses like these, too, but you see these big blue like reflections off of them in the morning. Yeah. So I can't wear them when I'm on camera, which means I can't see. Which means I'm only guessing at the names of our guests. Oh, yeah. Well, that would be problematic. I appreciate. Problematic. I appreciate your commitment to the Sunrise Morning Show and buying actual, real glasses, and not Thank just you, the Thank you, brownish Costco. green blur that sounds like Anna Mitchell. <laughs> today is what day is today? It's Wednesday, right? Is it Wednesday, Matt? I, think it's I don't know. I can't see what it says here on the sheet. Yeah, I think it's Wednesday. Wednesday, October the 11th. Happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's nine past. Dr. Matthew Bunsen is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Great to be with you. It is great to have you back. And October 11th is the feast of Pope St. John the 23rd. He was born a peasant, born to a peasant family. Would you say that that sort of colored his pastoral priorities as a priest and bishop and later as pope? Oh, I, I think most definitely. Uh, the, the the two words that are often used for um, Angelo Giuseppe Roncalli is that uh, he's pastoral, uh, but he's very practical. Uh, he was uh, born in Bergamo in the province of Lombardy, which is in, in the northern part of Italy. And uh, while his family did have some noble roots, uh, it was certainly um, not at the time of his birth uh, considered a, a powerful family in Italy, let's put it that way. They were largely sharecropped. But it was that connection to not the peasantry, but to the simplicity of life, I think that is something that he long maintained. And I think really helped to color and, and shape so much of his approach, uh, not just to the church, but to the world. He was elected pope in 1958. Now, how would you describe the state of the world and the state of the church at that point? Well, in terms of uh, the world uh, and really in terms of the, the, the church, you had a world that was moving toward crisis. And what I mean by that is that uh, we had come out of the Second World War. You had uh, the Cold War, but we were also seeing the start of some of the great social and cultural tides uh, that were going to be buffeting uh, the whole of uh, Western culture, especially, and uh, the church. Uh, the massive changes that were taking place. You had uh, the rise of existential philosophy, for example, in France. Uh, you had, as I was mentioning, the, the struggle against international communism. And then there was uh, the question of uh, modernity. Where was the modern world actually going after World War II? Uh, with so much shattering change, so many technological changes, and I think that is uh, really brings us to the very heart of uh, the pontificate of John the Twenty Third. 
And I want to get to Vatican II in a moment, so you need to set that aside at this point. What would Absolutely. you say are the most important other accomplishments he made as Pope? Well, I think uh, the first was to uh, look at that question of uh, the modern world uh, in his encyclicals. You know, he did not write very many. He was Pope for uh, just about five years, but he issued eight papal encyclicals. Two of them, I think, are really significant. The one is Mater et Magistra, which is uh, his com- uh, contribution to Catholic social teaching. But then there was also Pacem Interis, uh, which was the last of his encyclicals. And you could argue that it was in many ways the most important. It was uh, promulgated just a, a few months before his death. It's one of the longest that uh, uh, he wrote, about 15,000 words. And it significantly addressed, uh, not specifically or exclusively to the members of the Church, but to all men of goodwill. Uh, in that sense, too, this is his uh, outreach to the rest of the world. And, and I think that Pachmenteris, when we look back on it, discussing as it does about the rights and obligations of the individual, but also the states of human dignity, of equality. He looked at so many of the questions of our time and uh, weighed in, I think, very elegantly and eloquently. Now, as um, I said, I wanted you to set Vatican II aside, but of course that a monumental part of his papacy in, in getting the Second Vatican Council opened prior to his death. Why did he want this Second Vatican Council? He understood when his, he was elected pope that uh, Pius XII, his magnificent predecessor, had already been looking at a number of questions of how the Church was going to dialogue with the modern world. We saw some liturgical changes, for example, uh, uh, under Pius XII, uh, but there was that overarching question of how could the Church actually dialogue with the modern world. And when you read his opening address to the Council, the thing that he stressed was that uh, we need to have that encounter, that dialogue with the modern world. But he had he phrased it in a way that's very important for us, and that is, how do we dialogue with the modern world? How do we present the unchanging teachings of the Church in a way that the modern world can understand? He was not calling for a revolution, as some have claimed over the years, but he really wanted to find that way of having that conversation. Now, he put this under the umbrella of aggiornamento, uh, which is a kind of opening. And what followed was the Second Vatican Council, which he did not live to see. But as a pope who is not expected to have been elected, uh, he was a pope who was also not expected to have called an ecumenical council, and a pope uh, who was not expected to live very long. So all of those surprises, I think, really can be reflected in the Second Vatican Council. And one of the most important things that he did as well was to name uh, Cardinal Montini uh, to the Cardinalate. And in that way, too, you could very clearly see that he was trying to establish a certain continuity that would continue, certainly where the Council was concerned, after his death. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the legacy of the Council and, and whether it belongs to John the Twenty Third or whether it belongs to his successor, Paul the Sixth. What, what do you think? I think one good answer would be that it belongs to the Holy Spirit. But, sure. Okay, um, fair I enough. Think we, can, we, can say, <laughs> we can say that when Kali gave it its beginning and left to Paul the immense task of bringing it to a conclusion, 
he saw Paul very early on as one of the most key figures in providing the structure, organization, and again, that continuity. But uh, it was John's call. It was John's counsel. And it was his decision to convoke it. And it was he who set it on the path of how it proceeded even after his death. And Paul had that immense choice of whether to end it right at the time of his election or to continue it. I think he felt the immense pressure of his predecessor and the immense pressure of uh, the Council Fathers to continue. But he could have ended it, but he didn't. And in that sense, too, I think the two of them have to be looked at as historical partners uh, in that role. The most important question, can you talk about the humor of John the (laughs) 23rd? Well, there's the most famous line of all that tells us everything we need to know. John was once asked how many people work in the Vatican. He thought for a second. He said, "Mm, about half. (laughs) You're right. It does. It says it all. It's one of his greatest (laughs) lines. But... uh, a man known to be jovial and and just so lovable, Pope St. John the 23rd, pray for us. We've been talking to Dr. Amen. Matthew Bunsen. Dr. Bunsen, as always, thank you so much. Great to be with you. God bless. You too, Dr. Bunsen. How many people work here on the Sunrise Morning Show? Paul's trying to count. About half. It's true. We don't actually, it's zero percent. We don't do work here. We have fun. Don't be Paul. Yeah, he's giving me a thumbs up. <laughs> We're back with headlines headlines right after this. It's 17 past. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share. 844-334-3245. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin flavored and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This month's devotion is to the Holy Rosary. St. John Paul II called the Rosary his favorite prayer, in which we meditate with Mary upon the mysteries which she, as a mother, meditated on in her heart. The Rosary is one of the most cherished prayers of our Catholic faith. Join in this devotion to Mary and strengthen our connection to Our Lady with rosary beads, bracelets, boxes, pouches, and rings. Available at EWTNRC.com. 19 past, here's Anna with headlines. 
Republican and Democratic lawmakers are introducing a bill to provide $2 billion in aid for Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system, but it can't come to the floor until there's a Speaker of the House. In addition to his public calls for peace, Pope Francis has been making actual calls to Palestine to check on the small Christian population there. And the U.S. bishops yesterday launched a national Catholic mental health campaign. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. You know, we already lined up our topic for uh, pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast this Mm -hmm. week, but I bet you he'll have some thoughts. Oh, well, he was talking about World Mental Health Day for, what, several weeks leading up to this. But uh, but, I'm sure he'll want to unpack some of the things. Well, I love the quote, the, the quote that I had in my news, nobody and nothing can alter or diminish your God-given dignity. There you go. It's right there. Right there. You know, I was looking at uh, uh, evening prayer last night Mm -hmm. uh, from the Liturgy of the Hours, and the prayer was all kinds of stuff. For those who suffer chronic illness, grant them patient endurance. For those who suffer mental or emotional illness, grant them peace of mind. For all who are dejected in spirit, we pray to the Lord. Yeah, it was all in there last night if you prayed evening prayer in the Magnificat. Very beautiful. It's 21 minutes past the hour morning show well imagine promoting your business right here to other listeners of the sunrise morning show you'll reach like-minded folk across the nation on over 300 radio stations each of those stations with thousands and thousands of listeners not to mention all the people who listen on sirius satellite and our online app find out more about national underwriting of the sunrise morning show by emailing me leah at sacredheartradio.com l-e-a-h at sacredheartradio.com I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Some figures in the Bible remain a mystery to us. One such figure is the man healed by Jesus at the pool of Bethsaida. You remember him. He was suffering for 38 years with no one to take him to the pool of water for healing. Jesus walked by directed him to pick up his mat and walk. He did just that. When confronted by the authorities, this cripple said he had no idea who healed him on the Sabbath. Later, he met Jesus in the temple, and then he returned to the authorities and told them that it was Jesus. Was he so filled with joy at his healing that he announced it hoping they would be healed too, spiritually? This would make this crippled man a loyal witness for Jesus. Or was he contributing to the hostility so many had towards the Lord? In this line of thinking, the man remained spiritually crippled. Perhaps John leaves this story so ambiguous so that we can put ourselves into it. What would be our response to the Lord? For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Rob Jack, a priest of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati and host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio, the same very station that produces the Sunrise Morning Show. Father Rob, good morning. Morning, Matt. So we've been de- defining some Catholic vocabulary 
in uh, the past few weeks, and today we're talking about spiritual discipline and ascesis. Now, uh, ascetic uh, discipline and the ascetic life, I misheard it the first few times that people said it to me. Uh, I thought they were saying aesthetic. Two very different kinds of things, Uh, but what sort of uh, principles are we talking about here with spiritual disciplines and ascesis? Well, if we if we look at an old book on spirituality or an old book on Catholic prayer, they'll often use the word ascetical uh, theology or ascetical spirituality. And it means discipline, because what we find in anything, we think about training our bodies and how we do that. We learn we have to eat less, we have to maybe uh, exercise more, we have to do things to kind of make us strong. The same is true with our soul that we often take for granted. And one of the things we have to do in our soul, as St. Paul puts it, is begin to help focus more on our soul than on our body. And in order to do that, we exercise discipline. Now, sometimes there's a fine line between spiritual discipline and self-punishment, and we have to be careful when we talk about these things. Well, we do, and for someone who is maybe dealing with scrupulosity or uh, feeling an immense pressure to try and earn God's favor in some way, those extreme practices, uh, right, can be actually a detraction. Uh, and, and so that's why I think it's really important for anybody. I mean, I, this happens all the time with new converts that I talk to. They want to go in and be 1,000% a Catholic, and they feel like they got to do everything all at once, and that's not always healthy. Well, it's not. And what they'll do oftentimes is they'll read the early lives of the saints, and they'll find out, well, well, geez, you know, St. Francis, he fasted for 14 days and didn't have any food, or he threw himself naked into the snow, and I have to do those kind of things to be holy. And I said, not necessarily. Uh, Every saint and every person has their own uh, struggles and battles they deal with. And so the question is, is what hinders my prayer. Well, could it be uh, too much sleeping? So maybe I'll sleep an hour less. Or could it be uh, too much food that I'm focusing, I'm worried more about what I'm going to eat today instead of giving thanks to God. And so maybe I'll cut back on my food a little bit. It's all all about really amounts of things, not huge things, because we assume the older idea of spirituality, which was rooted, as you know, in the philosophy of philosophy of Plato, was that the the body was bad, and so we have to punish the body in order to make the spirit good. But then Benedict, thank goodness, came along and said, no, we have to kind of look at things in terms of a balance and make sure that in our spiritual theology, in our life, our daily life, there are times that we need to fast a little bit more. There are times where we might need to sleep a little bit less. There might be times when we need to uh, spend more time silent than we do talking in our prayers. And, and that balance takes time. And what we'll find in our own life is, is that we these types of discipline that we do are, again, ways of training us to, make our, to help our souls be more focused on God. Yeah, and it is, again, that's the ultimate purpose, right? Because if those things become a distraction and they become the thing that you're obsessing over instead of God, I mean, and this is easy to do, right? I mean, the devil would love nothing more than to take something that you're doing to honor God and make you focus on it more than God. Well, that, yeah, and, and all of a sudden make something which is a means an end. Like, well, you know, my end is to do this. Well, no, that's a means. So, okay, my end is to 
first of all, we'll often tie in fasting with weight loss or the tie in fasting with uh, another thing. And they're saying, no, you know, let's keep things balanced. I, when I was a uh, very, very young, uh, this is before I was even in the seminaries in high school, and, and I used to have a huge list of prayers. I would do Litany of the Sacred Heart, Litany of Mary. I had like a list of 15 prayers I would do every day. And I was with my spiritual director. He says, what are you doing? And I gave him the whole list. And he said, holy Moses, when do you find time to do anything else? And I said, listen, why don't we do this? He said, pick the first, the, bit, the three most important to you, and you focus on those. And then the other ones, let them fall away. And as you go through your life, okay, maybe now you can take this out and put this in. In other words, to figure out a proper balance of what we need to do to, to have that good uh, spiritual relationship with God. Well, this is the other thing that happens a lot with uh, various people that I work with who are coming into the church from outside, and they do want to, like I said before, uh, do everything that they can possibly do to be Catholic, but they get cornered by somebody at church and says, you have to do this devotion, right? Or oh, yeah. it's so spiritually fruitful, and, and they get cornered, and sometimes— uh, there are pressures that come on people to have to engage in certain devotions when, in fact, this is a buffet that the church offers to us, and not every devotion is going to fit every person the same way. And some of them might not fit you for the rest of your life. They might fit you for a season. And so I've, I, that's a very important thing that, you know, your spiritual director brought out to you that it's—I mean, it's certainly one uh, a principle I try to apply because I, <laughs> I go through spiritualities all the time. Well, we do. And like I said, we find a particular saint we like, and we we might read some of uh, St. John of the Cross or Teresa of Avila, or we read St. Benedict, which is a very balancing saint, or St. Francis de Sales. And we find in our own life, with the help of a director, how are the best ways for us to really have that balance of our body and our soul so that we can remove the obstacles that we have in the way to God and capitalize on our strengths so that that union can become stronger. Great stuff, Father Rob Jack. Thank you as always. Have a wonderful day, and uh, a bunch of our listeners will be catching you this afternoon on Driving Home the Faith. Thanks, Matt. All right. Again, you can find Father Rob Rob Jack linked at sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. You can also find the link in the show notes to watch our video live stream. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will travel to Israel this week to show U.S. support for the country following attacks by Hamas. He's expected to arrive tomorrow to meet with senior Israeli officials to hear about the situation on the ground. Hamas launched a surprise attack on Israel on Saturday. More than 1,000 civilians have been killed, including 14 Americans. The Biden administration says at least 20 Americans are currently missing in the conflict. Meanwhile, the first shipment of U.S. weaponry has arrived in Israel. Mark Mayfield has more. On Tuesday, a spokesperson for the Israel Defense Force said the first plane carrying advanced ammunition had landed at one of their air bases. They said Israel is grateful for the American support and assistance to the IDF in particular during this challenging period. The news came hours after President Biden spoke about the ongoing war, calling the Hamas terrorist attacks an act of sheer evil. More than a 1,000 Israelis and Palestinians have been killed so far in the conflict, along with at least 14 Americans. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Custos of the Holy Land says he fears that Palestinian Christian, the Palestinian Christian population could disappear. The comments from Father Francesco Paton, 
come as war rages between Hamas and Israel. He told La Serfatore Romano, quote, it is very dangerous for the Christians to remain in Gaza since now the information that we have, he said, are that the Christians are safe in this moment, but we don't know the evolution during the next days, end quote. Another earthquake hit Afghanistan early today, just days after two large quakes in the same region killed more than 2,000 people. The new 6.3 magnitude quake struck before dawn today near Herat, a city of more than a half a million in the northwest of the country. Health officials said more than 100 people were taken to hospitals. When the quake hit, many people were sleeping outside because their homes had been destroyed in the Saturday quakes. A Holy See representative has spoken to the executive committee of the U.N. High Commissioner's Program for Refugees, stressing the need for solidarity with refugees. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. Monsignor Daniel Pacho highlighted the plight of forcibly displaced people and the urgent need for global solidarity. More than 108 million people around the world are forcibly displaced. He stressed that these are not just numbers, but human beings with faces, each representing a unique story and struggle. Conflict, violence, persecution, and the impacts of climate change continue to drive mass displacement, a situation Pope Francis has described as a third world war being fought piecemeal. Monsignor Pacho expressed concern about ongoing conflicts, particularly the situation in Ukraine and the tragic consequences they entail, including loss of life, injuries, displacement, and immense socioeconomic damage. Such conflicts, Monsignor Pacho stressed, highlight the tragic absurdity of war. Central to the Holy See's position on the matter is the recognition of human dignity as the foundation for addressing the refugee crisis. Refugees are not mere recipients of assistance, but holders of rights and responsibilities, said Monsignor Pacho, underscoring the importance of not returning individuals to countries where they face human rights violations or life-threatening conditions. Monsignor Pacho went on to highlight the need to move beyond temporary solutions in emergency situations and work toward durable and long-term solutions. The Holy See also stressed the right to seek asylum as an extension of human dignity and fraternity, aligning with Pope Francis' call to avoid turning the Mediterranean from the cradle of civilization into the graveyard of dignity. In conclusion, the Holy See renewed its call for a global sense of fraternity, emphasizing that without it, fairer societies and lasting peace are impossible. I'm Thaddeus Jones. Abortions in North Carolina fell by more than 30 percent in one month after the state's 12-week abortion ban went into effect. An analysis by the pro-abortion research organization Guttmacher Institute showed there were more than 1,300 fewer abortions in July compared to June. A lead author of the report said the decline probably reflects fewer people traveling to North Carolina from out of state for abortions because of added restrictions along with the 12-week limit. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show.
you listen to the Sunrise Morning Show? Well, imagine promoting your business right here to other listeners of the Sunrise Morning Show. You'll reach like-minded folk across the nation on over 300 radio stations, each of those stations with thousands and thousands of listeners, not to mention all the people who listen on Sirius Satellite and our online app. Find out more about national underwriting of the Sunrise Morning Show by emailing me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com, L-E-A-H, at sacredheartradio.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. O Sacred Heart of Jesus, I place my trust in Thee. O Sacred Heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. Whatever may befall me, Lord, though dark the hour may be, in all my woes, in all my joys, though naught but grief I see, O sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. When those I loved have passed away, and I am sore distressed, O sacred heart of Jesus, I fly to thee for rest. In all my trials, great or small, my confidence shall be, Unshaken as I cry, dear Lord, I place my trust in Thee. This is my one sweet prayer, dear Lord, my faith, my trust, my love. But most of all, in that last hour, when death points up above, O sweet Savior, may Thy face smile on my soul all free. Oh, may I cry with rapturous love, I place my trust in Thee. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday, the 11th of October. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Zimak from followingthetruth.com. And we do, every week, a little Bible study on uh, various verses and passages from Scripture that hopefully uh, throw a little encouragement into your day as you go out to face whatever you plan to face. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So today we get to be in a penitential psalm. Psalm 32 is definitely one of those that we hear during Lent and right. uh, perhaps uh, even read before going to confession. But there's a lot in here worth unpacking. Uh, I wonder if you could maybe hit some of the highlights of Psalm 32 for us this morning. Absolutely, Matt. You know, one of uh, you and I have been doing this series for a long time, and, and what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do, what you're trying to do on this series uh, together on this show, is to help alleviate some of the anxiety that, uh, that many people are feeling, including myself at, at times. Um, one of the greatest sources of anxiety is the guilt and shame of things we may have done in the past. You know, we've, we've all done things we regretted, and a lot of us, sometimes carry around this guilt of what we've done um, unnecessarily. Because the, the beautiful thing about, and this psalm teaches us, is that the Lord is waiting to hear from us and to forgive us for the sins that we committed if, if we ask. So Psalm 32, and I'm just going to read the first couple of verses because it really paints a, a very nice picture and, and a really comforting uh, image for us. Blessed is, he who in, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, 
and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So this idea of uh, being forgiven for our sin, if, if when this happens, we are blessed. It's a good thing. It's a good place to be. And the psalm continues, When I declared not my sin, my body wasted away, though my gro- through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is the effect of not confessing our sin. This is the effect of not going to the Lord and saying, I'm sorry. And the final verse I want to read is what comes next. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then you forgave the guilt of my sin. There you go, Matt, right there. You go to the Lord, you confess your sin, and he will forgive the guilt of your sin, and therefore we are going to start to feel better when we do this. And as I read this, I'm going to, we've talked about this before, I'm going to put in yet another pitch for the sacrament of confession, one of the greatest resources that we as Catholics have to not just to, not just to eliminate the guilt that we have about the past, but to overcome those habitual sins that you and I commit over and over again. This can be helped by going to the sacrament of confession. Absolutely. And there are some people uh, who make regular use of that sacrament listening right now. There are, are also probably some people who've not really incorporated it into their world and haven't really understood the role it can play in their spiritual life or aren't sure what right. to do when they get there um, or maybe haven't been in ages. Or maybe you're just flipping through and uh, hearing some people talk about confession on the radio and thinking, I haven't done that since I was in like second grade. And uh, are wondering like what the purpose of this and 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 how it how it works and and how it feels. But I think the psalmist really gets at something here. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning mm. all day long. Uh, your hand was heavy upon me; my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That sin really does kind of weigh you down, man. It just it it grinds on you, and. Sometimes you don't even realize how much it's been grinding on you until you get to confession. This has happened to me I don't know how many times. I mean, I can't even count how many times I've just been feeling off uh, and not myself. And, you know, Saturday rolls around, and I'm like, you know what? Whatever else I'm doing, confession's on the schedule today. And it is a night and day difference just by making that time. And you start to realize, I know what was— at least in part, weighing me down. I mean, I didn't didn't make all my responsibilities that are stressful go away, but it certainly took out the part that was my fault. That's for sure. Exactly, and I and I really like what you just said about putting confession on your schedule. Look, I, there have been times in my life when I have not gone as frequently as I should have. You know, it's just there's too many things to do, too many things to do for me. Uh, I'm busy. You know, I'm not that bad of a person, and and so on and so forth. And and when I look back at these times when confession wasn't a priority for me, I was generally not that happy. And and there were were times during those periods when I seemed to be not living the life I should should live. You know, honestly, if we want to compare ourselves to someone, we, we need to compare ourselves to Jesus. You know, we could compare ourselves to the guy down the street who doesn't go to church and who's just a general jerk and then feel good about ourselves. But the Lord wants us to compare ourselves to Him. I mean, that, that should be our goal, and, and not to overwhelm anybody, but this, this should be our goal, to be like Jesus and with His help, with the grace He gives us, 
it is possible to get closer to that than I can on my own. So that's my goal. And when I do go to confession frequently, I notice a difference. Sometimes it's a gradual difference, but it's a general feeling of peace. And it's also, as I'm in certain situations, it's a, it's a, it's a slight outpouring of that grace. Not always, not always, you know, just a, a major outpouring of the grace, but it's often just a little outpouring of the grace, which helps me to avoid those temptations. Uh, you know, as I'm, as I'm tempted to sin, the, the grace that comes from confession starts to come through, and I begin to realize, okay, I probably shouldn't do this, or maybe I'm doing the wrong thing here. So there is a definite benefit to receiving the sacrament. You know, it's, it's fascinating who we will confess to instead yes. of... Uh, going to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, there are people who will yeah. go and pay an enormous bar tab and unload to the bartender, right? Yeah. Or people who will pay a uh, therapist an enormous amount of money an hour. And that's not to say there isn't some value that can be had in those things. you know. Or people who will go onto social media and uh, anonymously post you know, stuff on Twitter or Reddit or wherever about these things that they've done. And confessions like free it's wild right. it's like this right. free thing and it doesn't solve every single problem in your life right there's as with anything you've got to have some sort of discipline and practice and virtue that you take back out in the world and exercise but it's like this free thing and like i'm i'm surprised that the whole world doesn't know about it and isn't taking advantage of it Exactly. And, and that's why I want to come on and talk about it. That's why I wanted to talk about this psalm today. That's what I wanted, why I want to give personal examples in my life, how the sacrament has, has changed me, because it is available to us. It is available to us whenever we want. You know, and I would just say that typically I'll go to confession on the weekend, but if we're, especially if we're in the state of mortal sin, our priest, our parish priest would love for us to call him and schedule an appointment to go to confession, even in between the the regular times. I, I can't imagine a priest who would not want that. And, and that's, that's something to keep in mind. You know, if you, if you feel the need to go to confession today, contact your parish and, and, and make those arrangements. You know, get that off your chest and give yourself that, that great opportunity to be, uh, to be washed by the Lord's grace in that, in that sacrament. World's a crazy place, Gary. And uh, very often our reaction to the things that trouble us, that upset us in the world is to say, you know what, maybe I should call my elected officials and tell them to act on this thing, or maybe I should make a blog post about this, or maybe I should share my hot take on geopolitics or church politics or whatever it is on social media, whatever it happens to be. Sometimes the first reaction needs to be, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs> right? Amen, brother. Sometimes Amen. that's got to be the first reaction. So, And then we can work with the rest of it. Gary Zimak, we've got followingthetruth.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you, as always, for a great conversation, a great dive into the Scriptures, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate you having me on, brother. All right, 14 till. We're back right after this. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. 
go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on digital training. That's lordteachmetopray.com and click on digital training. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through SunriseMorningShow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through SunriseMorningShow.com. He is honored by the church as a saint with the title Second Apostle of Germany. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. The Dutch-born Jesuit, St. Peter Canisius, was one of the key figures in restoring the Catholic faith in Germany during the Protestant Reformation. He is renowned for his catechism and also for his founding more than 40 universities that proved bastions of Catholicism across Central Europe. He died in 1597 and was named a doctor in 1925. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Trent Horn is here. Ask Trent anything. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's Wednesday, October the 11th. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will be traveling to Israel this week to show U.S. support for the country. Pope Francis has made another appeal for peace and restraint in the Hamas-Israeli war. And another earthquake hit Afghanistan early today, just two days after two large quakes in the same region. News the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim. Glad to talk to Dr. Dan Keebler, biology professor at Franciscan University. If you've not checked out the Purposeful Lab podcast, you should. It's a great uh, series of discussions on faith and science. Dr. Keebler, how are you? I'm doing well this morning. How are you? I know you got season two coming up, or actually, is it already out? It's it's coming up. Um, it's launching, and so we got a great group of guests that we brought in. It's a, the the best part of the podcast is getting the uh, some great scientists, theologians, philosophers in to talk about some very interesting topics. So we talk a lot about uh, this next season cosmology, like how the universe began. We look at sort of the smallest parts of the universe, uh, the subatomic level, and look at that order and 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 beauty that you find there, and and reflect upon that. And uh, we also look at uh, you know the possible of life on other planets and, and UFOs and things like that that are related to you know space. So it's a it's a it's a, a great uh, sort of interdisciplinary um, talk that's, uh, that that is uh, aimed for your average person that's just interested in uh, learning more about these issues and how science and the Catholic faith sort of um, are compatible and synergistic with each other. Well, I saw uh, your co-host Catherine Hedro recently, and I told her I said I don't know which uh, specific 
demographic you're aiming at with these, but I listened to a couple of these episodes in the car with my 11-year-old son, and he was having me pause like every two minutes to explain some stuff because he had like follow-up questions. Uh, so he was dialed in. So if you're aiming for the 11-year-old boy audience, you've got him. We so got it. All know. right. That's great. That's good to hear. So I'll have to have him call in and give us some questions. Indeed. <laughs> oh, uh, you're not ready for him. I can tell you that. <laughs> All right, so Laudate Deum came out, and here's an opportunity for uh, all of us to kind of think about not just the moral questions related to how Catholics are supposed to live in this world that God created for us, but also some of the scientific stuff behind it. And, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I hardly know what to ask in these conversations, but there's some moral points that I think that even those of us who are really confused by science uh, when it enters the conversation can still get our heads around as Catholics. Uh, What would you say are some of the main moral points we need to have in our minds as we approach these conversations about how to care for creation? Yeah, I think one of the, the, the key points, this is something that Pope Benedict made a lot, is to, to we have to uh, see creation as a gift, right? Uh, and that's sort of what the, the Genesis story is getting at. This is a gift uh, to us from God. And as a result, you know, any gift that God gives us, we don't want to abuse that gift. We want to steward it and use it to the best of our ability for, um, you know, the uh, our, our ultimate good, which is to make it to heaven and experience the beatific vision. Um, I think the problems arise, you know, when we... See either see creation as the ultimate good, um, you know, it's uh, like protecting the environment is the uh, an, uh, an ultimate end rather than, you know, as a gift from God, or we um, sort of ignore it and say, well, it's not as important, it's more important uh, that I have comfort and that uh, the, <clears throat> that material comfort are the things that I want, and we raise that above our stewardship of the gift that God has given to us. Well, there are so many ways this conversation breaks down, and, and uh, you know, you try and have reasonable conversations about these <laughs> things, and people just explode, right, because it's been yeah. so polarized uh, by partisan factions. But, you know, I come at this from a few different directions. Uh, one is that, you know, I come from a church that's like, we don't want unnatural interventions in marriage, right? That's uh, right. Why? Because we know that God created marriage for a certain purpose. So I kind of tend to map that on to how I think about the rest of creation, <laughs> right? Uh, like, what what is it that we're doing that is in harmony with God created, how God created us to be, how he wants us to live in this world, and which things are unnatural sort of thwartings of his creative intention? I mean, that to me is a good place to start on some of this. Right, I think that's right. There's a there's a balance that we have with nature that we should be in balance with it. Not because nature is a god or a deity, but because that is how we should be viewing the gift of the natural world that God has has given us. You know, I think in humans are are, are resilient. We've made mistakes in the past and the way we've interacted with the environment. I, you know, soon we're in in uh, industrial uh, rust belt there, and you know, you know, if you look back and what these cities like Cleveland and Pittsburgh were you know, 60, 70 years ago, the amount of pollution that was going on there, uh, we realized, oh, this is a problem, and we take a lot of steps to, to fix fix and rectify that and realize, okay, we can't treat the environment this way. I think we're in a similar situation right now, and how do we rectify and treat the environment in a way that respects the gift that God has has, has given us? And I think we're making a, a lot of progress. I think the, there's a lot of, you know, sort of doomsday scenarios that come with with the, you know, the whole global warming thing. But I think the reality is that 
they, you know, for the most part, society has responded, and we have a lot to be optimistic about, you know, in terms of, you know, what we're already doing. I think about a fourth of the U.S. energy supply is renewable energy, and in probably in a few years, five or six years, it might be up to 75 percent and so forth. So the, 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 the world, particularly the developed world, is making many, many strides to make our um, sort of energy use, uh, I, I think, more um, in tune with uh, uh, the environment. Um, so I I think there's a lot of positive things that 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 that, that have, have come uh, from this. Even though you know there is some uh, debate over exactly how much um, the the climate is going to be disrupted by humans, but clearly there is uh, there is a connection. Um, you know the debate is sort of how much that uh, humans have influenced the climate, and I think you know we we should take measures to um, uh, sort of uh, change what we're doing if we have that ability to do, and we do, and that's that's the, the human ingenuity that. I I think is uh, is is always on display when there is some type of uh, you know um, crisis that comes up. That's where the partisanship really flares up, right? <laughs> In right. those conversations. <laughs> but I know this, you know, from my work at the Coming Home Network, working with all these people who are coming into the church from various backgrounds. It's amazing how many of them say. I was looking upon creation, and I felt God present in it. And I think to myself, well, at the very least, we got to care for it because it's an evangelistic tool. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, so much... without a doubt, without yes. a doubt, so many people are brought to. And, and you look at the Book of uh, Wisdom and talks about you know who, who by knowing his his works yeah. doesn't get to know the the Creator. So this there's is something Augustine's beautiful story, about it, right? This is how yeah, Augustine right. phrases it. Well, we've got Purposeful Lab linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Definitely go check out the podcast. Dr. Dan Keebler, thank you so much. Have a great day. All right, thanks for having me. All right, and again, uh, not only can you find Dr. Keebler and the Purposeful World podcast linked at sunrisemorningshow.com, you can also click over to the show notes and find a link to the video live stream. And yeah, you can see my new glasses that I had to get so I could actually read with like these lights shining in my faces. Well, I've only got the one face, but you can see the lights. I was just going to ask, faces? You got multiple faces, Matt? Faces and You're gonna draw a face on the top of your head. Draw a face on my face. Yeah. I'm gonna look you in your face with it. Another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up. It's three till. continue on this Wednesday, the 11th of October, in prayer together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Remember your people, O Lord. You promised that the house of the Messianic King would last forever. Grant us the grace to put our trust in your fidelity rather than our own short-sightedness. You have made your promise known in the assembly of the Holy Ones. Teach us to hear and to live the words we pray when we are gathered for worship. You have clothed yourself in truth and beauty. Make us walk in the ways of truth and beauty today. O God, you have kept your covenant with every generation. In a world shadowed by the many infidelities of frail humanity, grant us faith in your enduring love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And since it is his feast today, Pope St. John Twenty-Third, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along here as we 
continue through the week. It is almost halfway through the month of October. Can you believe it? Uh, so hopefully uh, those of you who have not taken this month dedicated to the Holy Rosary and ramped up your rosary devotions or uh, restarted them if they've been lagging, this is a good reminder that uh, there's still plenty of October left to uh, to ramp up that rosary devotion. I'm Matt Swaim, Anna Mitchell has news, Paul Ackman at the controls, Travis is putting our video stream online at sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. And up this hour, uh, we'll chat with Andrew Pettiprin, who's got an article for Catholic World Report about uh, the Superman, but not like the, the DC kind, like the Nietzsche kind. Uh, we'll discuss that with him. Steve Bowman has a film on love uh, that some of you have maybe perhaps heard about. Uh, there's a Fathom event to promote that. Dr. Jared Stout will be along as well this hour, so please do stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Republican and Democratic lawmakers are introducing a bill to provide $2 billion in aid for Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system. Democrats Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey and Brad Schneider of Illinois, along with Republicans Claudia Tenney of New York and Max Miller of Ohio, introduced the bill yesterday. Iron Dome is a system that intercepts rockets fired at Israel. Lawmakers from both parties have vowed to support Israel, but Congress cannot act because there is no Speaker of the House after Kevin McCarthy was removed last week. Republicans are scheduled to vote on a new Speaker today. Pope Francis, meanwhile, has made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land. EWTN's Joan Lewis reports at his general audience he also asked for hostages to be released. The Holy Father acknowledging that a country attacked has a right to defend itself also expressed his concern for the, quote, total siege facing the Palestinians in Gaza where there have been so many innocent victims. He said the Middle East does not need war but peace, a peace built on justice, dialogue, and the courage of fraternity. In addition to his public calls for peace, Pope Francis has made actual phone calls into Palestine to check on the small Christian population there. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Pope Francis is constantly following what is happening in the Gaza Strip, reaching out to the small Christian community by telephone earlier. Parish priest Father Gabriel Romanelli told Vatican News about the phone calls. Father Romanelli is currently in Bethlehem and in constant contact with the faithful. Speaking with Vatican News early Tuesday afternoon, he said the Pope had just called him a few minutes earlier and that the Pope expressed his closeness and offered his prayers. Father Romanelli said, We thanked him for his calls for a ceasefire and a stop to all violence, all terrorism, and all war. He added that the Pope wanted to show his closeness and get in touch with the Christian community there through his vicar, who is assisting refugees in the parish. The Gaza parish is home to around 150 people who have lost their homes or are seeking a safe place from the bombardments. Although, as Father Romanelli explains, the raids affect the entire area. There have been no deaths so far in the Christian community or damages. In all of Gaza, there have been over 770 deaths reported and 4,000 injured as a result of the Israeli raids in response to the terrorist attacks by Hamas on October 7th. Pope Francis also called yesterday, the parish priest recalled, explaining that the Pope wished to know how the people and the parish were doing. 
And Father Romanelli said the Pope imparted his blessing so that everyone may experience the closeness of the church. I'm Christopher Wells. Also during his Angelus address today, the whole Angelus address, his general audience today, the Holy Father extended his prayers to those suffering in the wake of the weekend earthquakes in Afghanistan and asked everyone to contribute to relief and recovery efforts. That appeal came just as another earthquake hit Afghanistan early today, just days after those two large quakes in the same region killed more than 2,000 people. The new 6.3 magnitude quake struck before dawn near Herat, a city of more than a half a million in the northwest of the country. Health officials said more than 100 people were taken to hospitals. When the quake hit, many people were sleeping outside because their homes were destroyed in the Saturday quakes. Hurricane Lydia is making landfall in Mexico as a Category 4 storm. Mark Mayfield reports. The National Hurricane Center reported that Lydia slammed into Puerto Vallarta on Tuesday evening and is expected to bring up to eight inches of rain to the area. The NHS called the storm extremely dangerous and warned residents flash floods and mudslides are possible, especially along the coast. The Hurricane Center has sustained winds of around 140 miles per hour and the storm is moving northeast at 16 miles per hour. I'm Mark Mayfield. Seven more patients are suing a Yale fertility clinic because of the theft of fentanyl that led to their operations without any painkillers. The seven patients are joining nearly 70 others who previously sued the Yale Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility Clinic. The suit claims the clinic failed to inform the patients that a former nurse had been stealing fentanyl from the facility and replacing it with saline. All of the patients say they experienced extreme pain during their surgical procedures. And the U.S. bishops are launching a national Catholic mental health campaign. They did so yesterday on World Mental Health Day, which seeks to raise awareness and remove stigmas associated with mental illness. The bishops said in their statement, quote, as pastors, we want to emphasize this point to anyone who is suffering from mental illness or facing mental health challenges. Nobody and nothing can alter or diminish your God-given dignity. Hopefully a great message to any of you out there who are having a rough time, feeling a little lonely, and uh, maybe wondering what it's all about or if it's going to be even a good day. Well, whether it is a good day or not a good day. God is here. You are loved, you are valuable, you matter. To God most especially. Especially if nobody else knows that, God knows that. And he sees you. He is the God who sees you as far down as you can be seen. And if you are one of those people, pray for us, Matt. Pray for us and your suffering. Yeah. What is it? Your suffering has value for the whole body of Christ. Yeah. What is it you like to say, Matt, if I'm if I'm nice? If I'm charitable, if I find out that you're having trouble, if I'm a charitable person. I'll pray for you. If I'm a smart person, I'll ask you to pray for me. I'm being smart this morning. So. Pray for us. Pray for those who are suffering, but get them to pray for you too. Because those people, as the psalmist tells us, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Andrew Pettiprin, who has a very provocative article over at Catholic World Report about... uh, modern manhood i don't know how i don't know the best way to sum this up andrew but uh you've 
uh, hit on a lot of points that I've been thinking about a ton lately. How are you? I'm good, Matt. I'm, I'm pleased as always to be with you. Yeah, you know, uh, just a lot of a lot of us these days, a lot of a lot of men in particular, but women too, just kind of feel lost in this world. And um, you know, we we feel increasingly like we're living in a a world where we've kind of turned our turned our backs to God, and yet that hunger for meaning will not go away. And so we therefore find ourselves looking for where to find it. We do indeed. And so this manifests in a bunch of different ways. And you touch on some of these uh, in your article, sort of a more progressive thing that is, uh, you know, perhaps more in the gender abolitionist realm where maybe none of these categories matter. Maybe all that matters is sort of this elevated sort of Gnostic sense of our own humanity you you got that on one side, and on the other side, my feed on Twitter seems to get clogged up more and more with what I would call sort of godless conservatism, just like a pure, mm-hmm. weird, like, caveman version yeah. of, of humanity, uh, where some of these guys are getting into this, like, weird, like, toxic, like, psychotic masculinity that is, like, womanizing and objectifies all the worst things about being a male. So where is Christianity in this? And, and I mean, Christianity's dealt with both of these things before, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the genius of Christianity is that, you know, our strength is in Christ crucified, risen, and glorified, um, that our, our weakness is God's opportunity to um, reveal His strength in us. And so, you know, we, we reject these, um, you know, ancient notions of just sort of brute strength and will to power, you know, that the, the survival of the fittest um, just isn't, isn't the, the disposition that Christians are kind of called to, to um, display to the world. And yet, yeah, as you say, like, there's a kind of despair even among so-called conservative people, and especially younger men, who look out on the world and just see weakness everywhere— and so, you know, they're reading philosophers like Friedrich Nietzsche and, you know, thinking about just, you know, well, all that matters is just, you know, that I get mine. And that can manifest itself in treating women horribly or in just kind of being vain and, you know, hitting the gym, which is a great thing to do, of course. But just, you know, thinking of it purely in terms of an aesthetic of, of power rather than kind of being strong for the sake of something, namely to help people. Well, this is uh, something that was such a focus of the late Dr. Kevin Vost, who uh, did uh, countless segments on the Sunrise Morning Show about all these things. And Dr. Vost, I don't know if you knew him at all, but he was an, uh, raised Catholic and then left after reading a whole bunch of Nietzsche and uh, you know became kind of an agnostic philosophy type, but he was also a bodybuilder. <laughs> so yeah. he kind of like fit a lot of these things and having had a massive uh, reversion back to his Catholic faith wrote all the time on this uh, intersection of uh, you know a sound mind and a sound body and um, the idea of perfecting the body so that you can be a dynamo for charity so that you can give to others and you know what I find both on the hyper intellectual side of things and on the you know hyper physical side of things and both of them are you know trying to appeal to you being better than other people, right? Uh, is that the, the Catholic faith is, is kind of like a, an antidote to all of that. It wants a sound mind and a sound body, 
but somehow or another, it's humility that's supposed to be driving the whole thing, which is completely counter to yeah. where all these movements are going. Yeah, and I just I, I think we need you know we we as men, but all of us as Catholics need to really um, shout that from the rooftops, especially to kind of younger people who are looking for meaning in the world today, because there are all of these competing voices. There are you know for for this vacuum that we have of meaning and leadership, we'll we'll find um, we'll find um, counterfeits stand in place of of truth. And we'll find a kind of uh, a message of power replacing uh, a message of truth and humility. And um, you know the 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 thing about uh, the thing about our faith is that yeah, in 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 the authentic message of the gospel and in its proponents, we find that message of humility and strength. We find truth and you know truth and beauty and unity. We find a way to kind of um, make sense of our weakness. Uh, and, and our feeling of being lost in the world. To me, a great figure to look to is Pope Benedict XVI, who knew his Nietzsche, he knew his, you know, he knew his modern philosophy, and yet he's always pointing to a message of hope, not despair, looking actually into the void that we all face in modernity and saying, no, no, we're, we're walking over this tightrope, but um, actually there's great meaning beneath us if we, uh, if we allow ourselves to be embraced by the love of God and to be um, able to live our faith in, in the Church. And again, there are all these things that, you know, fly out there to try and, uh, you know, meet these sort of existential needs of men, whether it's that sort of Gnosticism, the pseudo-intellectual draw, right, mm-hmm. or um, the ability to kind of have the, the the hot political take. You know, in my generation, it was a whole bunch of people getting sucked into Ayn Rand and the Fountainhead, right? Uh, and... Uh, you know, recent years, it's been people sucked into the crypto world to be like, you know, crypto bros, you know, who are making billions overnight, right, in their dreams, <laughs> right? All these things are like pulling on people. But what I find is that all those things come and go and they pass. And and it's it's not what God wants for us. He's not trying to get us to get rich quick or to be out for ourselves or to be smarter than everyone else. He wants yeah. us to be part of the body of Christ. Yeah, he wants us to be servant leaders and to live lives of sacrifice. I mean, that's that's where the greatness is. It's not in uh, you know making making a lot of money and buying fancy watches and you know showing ourselves off on Instagram. I mean, you know that's okay as far as it goes, but I mean that 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 really is uh, not going to satisfy. It's not going to scratch that itch that we all feel in the world to. Uh, to, to feel a sense of belonging and to feel strong and to feel a sense that our lives matter. Um, we do find that in the cross. We do find our strength. Uh, and yeah, as you say, it's not in, in the latest um, kind of warmed over version of Gnosticism. It's not in kind of a rehashing of some kind of, you know, self-improvement, um, you know, self-help strategy. Um, it's in making a decision to live for others that we find ourselves improved, you know? So I just say to young men, you know, get married and choose the difficult path or, or become a priest and choose the difficult path, whatever it may be, you know, but look for a life that is outside yourself and there you're going to find yourself. Yep. The more you look for yourself, the more dissatisfied you're going to be. <laughs> so, Indeed. Well, we've got your article for Catholic World Report and it is called, uh, well, the title of it is called to be a man in Christ, not a Nietzschean Superman. Thanks so much, Andrew. Have a wonderful day. 
You too, Matt. Thank you. Back with headlines after this. It's 17 past. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. The EWTN On Demand platform features 50 new podcasts every week, as well as an ever-expanding library of audio and video content. For Catholics who want to learn more about their faith, simply using their mobile device, computer, or TV, your favorite EWTN programs are available 24-7. Visit EWTN.com and click On Demand. EWTN is the global Catholic network. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land during his general audience today, also asking for hostages to be released. Another earthquake has hit Afghanistan today, and this happening as the Holy Father extended his prayers to those suffering in the wake of the weekend earthquakes in Afghanistan. And a new report from the Guttmacher Institute, the pro-abortion research organization. Abortions in North Carolina fell by more than 30% in one month. Praise God. Yeah. Next newscast coming up at 11 minutes. At 11 minutes. In about 11 minutes. In 11 minutes from now. I've got to work on my uh, prepositions this morning. You know, as Andrew was talking about, you know, all the different ways that, you know, men— single men who are waiting until their late 30s to think about marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, all this, all these questions swirling about. It strikes me, and uh, you probably have these conversations as well, with uh, some really extraordinarily eligible, extraordinary eligible women. Mm-hmm. I know tons and tons of women who would be like amazing wives and moms who are smart and dedicated yeah. and virtuous and holy and practical and funny and good and I know, like, two dudes for this massive pool of eligible women. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> That doesn't problem. mean that I know, like, lots of—I know tons and tons of single men. I loved what Andrew said there. Guys, get married or get become married a young. priest. Like, make a decision in life. Get off the internet. Go live your life. Give yourself to something live besides in yourself. reality. Yeah. It's 21 past.
Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. A novena prayer for the intercession of St. Maximilian Kolbe. O Lord Jesus Christ, who said, Greater love than this no man has than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Through the intercession of St. Maximilian Kolbe, whose life illustrated such love, we beseech you to grant our petitions. Through the Knights of the Immaculata Movement, which Maximilian founded, he spread a fervent devotion to Our Lady throughout the world. He gave up his life for a total stranger and loved his persecutors giving us an example of unselfish love for all people, a love that was inspired by true devotion to Mary. Grant, O Lord Jesus, that we too may give ourselves entirely without reserve to the love and service of our heavenly queen in imitation of your humble servant, Maximilian. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Greg Connerman. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Steve Bowman with Paradisus Day, and that man is you. Steve, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I am doing great. It's good to have you back on the show after many, many years since you uh, last joined us, and a good reason to come on. You've just narrated a documentary film that will be out in theaters a little later this month called What is Love? So, Steve, did you find out? What is love? <laughs> I did. I did. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing. And obviously, uh, the Church has been contemplating this mystery for 2,000 years, but I think it's more about the heart than the head. In what ways do you explore this topic of love? I mean, there are so many different ways, so many different directions that you could take a documentary film on, on love. So what, what directions do you take? You know, uh, we take the direction that the, uh, the in the old days the Church had what they called the three wisdoms, that all of this is called to fit together. And so, and of course, we know that faith and science and reason and all of that all go together. So we actually combine three critical things, and that is obviously our faith, reason, in our case, science, and then great stories that this isn't just about academic, you know, research. This is about the lives we live. So we have some amazing stories, and then we pull them apart to see uh, how our faith and science help us understand it. When does this come out? Uh, October 16th, which happens to be the day that John Paul II uh, was elected pope. Uh, well, that works out nicely uh, with John Paul II and how much he had to speak 
on love, human love in particular. Tell us a little bit more about some of the stories that you tell in this documentary. Sure. You know, we've got stories literally from across the globe, and we cover, and we wanted this to be a, a deeper discussion about love, not just kind of a superficial. And so we've got amazing stories, and they run the gamut. I mean, we have stories from love at first sight of two people who didn't even speak the same language, but they made it work. They're married, and 25 years later, they're still married in Hedder Hills and Do they understand each other yet? <laughs> They speak the same language. Well, that's um, good. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but then we've got Immaculate's story. Of course, the mm-hmm. woman who forgave her, uh, the man who murdered her family. We've got a, uh, John Pridmore, who's a man in London who was in the mafia. Did really bad things. And as something of an Augustine Monica story, his mother prayed him back, uh, literally from a near-death experience. And so we've got all sorts of stories that uh, run the gamut. And we get to see the very different facets of love, from romantic love that we all think about. But we have Gianna Mola's story in there, a parent and a child. And so uh, we have lots of stories. What did you learn about love, Steve? Did you learn anything you didn't know before? Uh, Yeah. I learned that, you know, at the end of the day, truly, and I mean, when we say did learn anything you didn't know before, again, it's the head and the heart. And love is a gift of self, is how John Paul de- described it, right? Mm-hmm. And that gift of self, when it's made, and it's not the warm fuzzies, but you're doing it, and that can happen in dramatic moments, but it can happen in the middle of the night when your kid's sick and you get up, or when you're crashing and burning at work, but your child needs something, you have to do it, or your parent, and you need to go hold your parent's hand because now they're at the end of their life. And so it's really that gift of self and when that gift of self is made and it doesn't have the warm fuzzies and it's inconvenient or it's difficult, it's truly that self-sacrificial nature that I'm not thinking about myself, I'm thinking of someone else. That's love. That's really beautiful. Can you talk about that in light of the story of Immaculate Illipigiza and tell listeners a little bit, for those who are not, I know her her story is is fairly famous, but... Can you talk a little bit more about her story and how that idea of gift of self uh, plays out when you're forgiving someone who killed your family? Oh, my land. You know, so Immaculate was uh, in the Rwandan genocide. She hid in the closet for 91 days. Uh, When she came out of the closet, she discovered that everyone in her family, with the exception of one of her brothers uh, that was in uh, Senegal because he was studying for veterinary school, Uh, The rest of her family had been killed. And then she had a vision where her family, and specifically her favorite brother, Damascene, appeared to her from heaven. And Damascene told her God expected her to go and forgive the man Felician who killed um, all of them. And she couldn't believe it, but she did it. And the beautiful thing that she discovered when she did it is, and at that point in time, Felician was imprisoned, and um, the thing that she discovered is she was the one who was set free, that when she did it, she was the one set free, and Felician, of course, remained in prison, and as she and I was talking, it was, she knew he has to live with this the rest of his life, and yet she's set free. And by the way, we take the science of all of this, A, that experience that she had with Damascene 
from heaven? Can that be real or not? And then B, are we made to be compassionate? God made us to be compassionate. Incredible. We've been talking to Steve Bowman, and uh, you can get more information about this linked at Sunrise Morning Show, the documentary, What is Love? Steve, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. Take care. You bet. Thank you. And you can find all of our guests linked on a daily basis at sonrisemorningshow.com. Just click, 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 click on the show notes for today. It feels like a Monday the way I've been talking. My goodness. In any event, over in the show notes, that is also where you can find a link to join the live stream. Get a look at Matt's new glasses. You know... Come, uh, come join the fun on video over at sonrisemorningshow.com or check it out after the show if you'd like. Listen to the podcast. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. U.S. officials are investigating some of the Hamas militants who carried out the shocking attack on Israel Whether they got advanced training from Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, they're also looking into whether Hamas used recent protests by Palestinians along Gaza's border fence to plant explosives used to break through the Israeli barrier last weekend. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said yesterday that Iran was complicit in the attack, which was far more sophisticated than past Hamas operations. Meanwhile, the first shipment of U.S. weaponry has arrived in Israel. Mark Mayfield reports. On Tuesday, a spokesperson for the Israel Defense Force said the first plane carrying advanced ammunition had landed at one of their air bases. They said Israel is grateful for the American support and assistance to the IDF in particular during this challenging period. The news came hours after President Biden spoke about the ongoing war, calling the Hamas terrorist attacks an act of sheer evil. More than 1,000 Israelis and Palestinians have been killed so far in the conflict, along with at least 14 Americans. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Custos of the Holy Land has said he fears the Christian population in Palestine could disappear. The Christian population is uh, always a peaceful population, and uh, the risk when there are conflicts, confrontations, and war is that uh, the Christian population is, we can say, the the first victim. After every war, some of uh, the members of our communities uh, leave the country, and I think that particularly in Gaza, where the Christian community is a very small community, I I fear that... uh, because of the war, the risk is uh, that the Christian community in, in Gaza will disappear. Father Francesco Paton was speaking to L'Osservatore Romano. He said it is very dangerous for Christians to remain in Gaza, saying, quote, Now the information that we have are that Christians are safe in this moment, but we don't know the evolution during the next days. A Holy See representative has spoken to the executive committee of the U.N. High Commissioner's Program for Refugees, stressing the need for solidarity. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. Monsignor Daniel Pacho highlighted the plight of forcibly displaced people and the urgent need for global solidarity. More than 108 million people around the world are forcibly displaced. He stressed that these are not just numbers, but human beings with faces, each representing a unique story and struggle. 
Conflict, violence, persecution, and the impacts of climate change continue to drive mass displacement, a situation Pope Francis has described as a third world war being fought piecemeal. Monsignor Pacho expressed concern about ongoing conflicts, particularly the situation in Ukraine and the tragic consequences they entail, including loss of life, injuries, displacement, and immense socioeconomic damage. Such conflicts, Monsignor Pacho stressed, highlight the tragic absurdity of war. Central to the Holy See's position on the matter is the recognition of human dignity as the foundation for addressing the refugee crisis. Refugees are not mere recipients of assistance, but holders of rights and responsibilities, said Monsignor Pacho, underscoring the importance of not returning individuals to countries where they face human rights violations or life-threatening conditions. Monsignor Pacho went on to highlight the need to move beyond temporary solutions in emergency situations and work toward durable and long-term solutions. The Holy See also stressed the right to seek asylum as an extension of human dignity and fraternity, aligning with Pope Francis' call to avoid turning the Mediterranean from the cradle of civilization into the graveyard of dignity. In conclusion, the Holy See renewed its call for a global sense of fraternity, emphasizing that without it, fairer societies and lasting peace are impossible. And that is Jones. And abortion in North Carolina fell by more than 30 percent in one month after the state's 12-week abortion ban went into effect. That according to an analysis by the pro-abortion research organization Guttmacher Institute, which showed there were more than 1,300 fewer abortions in July compared to June. A lead author of the report said the decline probably reflects fewer people traveling to North Carolina from out of state. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the... We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. A typical entry in Paul's letters is an expression of thanks to God. In the second letter to the Thessalonians, for example, Paul says, We must always give thanks to God for you, because your faith is growing abundantly. In Colossians, Paul writes, We always thank God. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. To Philippi, Paul writes, I thank God because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. But one letter stands out because where we expect to hear thanks, we hear this. I'm amazed that you are so quickly forsaking the one who called you. That must have been a shock. And who is on the receiving end of this letter? Oh, you stupid people in Galatia. After you have had a clear picture of Christ Jesus crucified right in front of your eyes, who has put a spell on you? No thanks to the Galatians. Instead, a challenge from Paul 
for them to get back on the path that leads to life. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Jared Stout. We've been going through his book, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization from Tan Books. Good morning, Dr. Stout. Good morning. Continuing our journey through through church history right now uh, to get a sense of, of the development of doctrine as it pertains to the Eucharist. So we talked before about how in the early church, the word transubstantiation wasn't used as such, but certainly the belief in that concept, if you will, was there. And, and over time, teaching becomes more refined, especially when, when heresies crop up and, and try to challenge orthodoxy in this matter. So that then takes us to the Fourth Lateran Council. What happened there? Well, we have transubstantiation being defined as a dogma. It was already taught definitively by the church, backed by local councils and the popes. Uh, but here it is actually put forward as a formula. That's what a dogma is, like a, a formula for belief by ordinary Catholics. So to say that to, to be a Catholic in good standing, this is a proposition that you must assent to, that the body and blood of Jesus Christ are made substantially present uh, during the Mass. And so then comes St. Thomas Aquinas. He's born about a decade after this council. Now, I mean, I don't know if we can stress enough just how important he is when it comes to our understanding of what the church has taught from the beginning on the Eucharist. One of the great things about Aquinas is that he's not actually very novel. I mean, you can see brilliant insights here and there, but what he does is to condense the entire tradition of the church. He was very deeply immersed in scripture. Not everybody realizes that. They just think, oh, he was into philosophy. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the Bible by far is the, the number one source uh, that he uses in the Summa. So you have scripture, you do have philosophy, which is relevant for the doctrine of transubstantiation. What's a substance? What does it mean to change from one substance to another substance? But you have the, the church fathers, all of the ecumenical councils, even recent controversies. We were talking about Berenger of Tours last week. That comes into Aquinas' thinking. So he brings all of this together and is able to distill it. Another thing that surprises people about Aquinas is that when you open up the Summa, it's actually composed of succinct articles. Um, and so he doesn't go on page after page after page on each topic. I mean, you can find more in-depth treatment of particular topics and other works of mm -hmm. his. But in the Summa, everything is is very short and and distilled so that you can easily understand it. He's a very clear and accessible writer. And that's really is what is of so much value when it comes to transubstantiation. He's taking the whole tradition of the church on the teaching of the Eucharist, breaks it up into these easily digestible articles and lays out a very definitive treatment of the theology of the Eucharist. Yeah, you know, and something that I thought was interesting that, that you write about in the book here, Dr. Stout, is um, I, I was thinking about it because we're here on Earth. So when we're looking at the Eucharist, um, I think our minds automatically, if we're trying to think about transubstantiation and all of that, 
we're thinking about, you know, the bread and the wine being substantially changed. But something I never really thought about is like, what's happening with Jesus in heaven when all of this is taking place on the altar? And that actually was a big controversy earlier in the Middle Ages. Um, is the Eucharist the very same body and blood of Jesus Christ in heaven? And during the period of monastic theology, people disagreed on that. Some said yes, some said no. Uh, but the doctrine of transubstantiation points to the fact that, you know, Jesus only has one body. Um, and this, of course, this is resurrected body in heaven, and that is the body that is made present to us on the altar. Now, I suppose, you know, if there's any extension of that body, it's not in the Eucharist because that's the very same body. But if you want to look beyond that, it would be us, right? We're mystically... Right incorporated into the body of Christ. But we receive that grace by receiving Christ's actual body and blood that are in heaven when we come to the sacrament. But Aquinas makes it clear it's not that body and blood leaving heaven and kind of moving down, like taking a train or something from heaven mm -hmm. down to the altar. He says it's a unique mode of presence. So it's a sacramental presence. So what does that mean? Through through the miracle of transubstantiation, the, the body and blood of Christ, which are in heaven, are made present in a unique way, right? You know, if I wanted to be present at a church a thousand miles away, right, I'd have to get in my car or get on a plane or whatever and travel over there without moving, right, without uh, leaving heaven or anything like that, Jesus can be present upon all of the altars of the world even at the same moment, in part, of course, because he is the Son of God, right? And so miraculously, he is able to present his body uh, to us at every single Mass. Well, it's really incredible what St. Thomas Aquinas was able to uh, accomplish, if you will, in, in the Summa. And the Summa is all well and good, Dr. Stout, but those hymns he wrote, oh my gosh, they're incredible. So Aquinas was a professor at the University of Paris. Uh, he was there as a student, and then he did two different teaching stints there. Uh, but, you know, he was a native of central Italy, and he spent a good amount of time there, too. And so during uh, one of his kind of interim periods uh, in between teaching stints in Paris, he was back uh, working underneath the Pope. And, and during this time, he established... Um, a Dominican House of Studies in Rome, which is now the Angelicum College. But the popes, you know, kind of traveled around that area. And there was a pope up in Viterbo, uh, Italy, when a nearby miracle happened. It was the miracle of Bassano, um, which is now stored in the cathedral at Orvieto. So people call it the, the miracle of Bassano or Orvieto, both. And there was a priest who was doubting the reality of transubstantiation. And the host actually bled uh, during, as he was elevating the host, bled down onto the altar and down the steps of the church in Balsano. Um, this was the same time when a, a mystic in Liège, Belgium, was calling for the institution of the Feast of Corpus Christi, uh, that she had had revelations that the Lord was asking for this feast uh, dedicated to his body, Eucharistic body. So Aquinas just happened to be in that area when this miracle happened which inspired the Pope to establish the Feast of Corpus Christi for the entire church. And so he said, okay, Aquinas, right? You're this great theologian. 
how about writing some poetry, right? And because uh, the new feast day required hymns, especially for the, the divine office, the liturgy of the hours, but also for the mass, um, there's a sequence that we read uh, before the gospel on the Feast of Corpus Christi. So Aquinas wrote these hymns, which show that, you know, he's not just this egghead, right? He has this romantic, more poetic uh, sensibility um, as well. And you may not know this, but, you know, when you go to Mass and then afterwards, you know, sometimes we'll have benediction of Blessed Sacrament, you know, you may hear these hymns, you know, um, Tantum Ergo Sacramentum, O Salutaris Hostia, or even on Holy Thursday at the Mass, mm -hmm. Pange Lingua Gloriosi, right? Th these are hymns of St. Thomas Aquinas. And then also the sequence for Cor Corpus Christi, which is Laude Zion. And you can see how he put, you know, this more complicated theology into poetic form for the, for the average person. For instance, one of the things he talks about in the Summa is that when the priest breaks the host, that Christ is fully present in both pieces of the host. So, and in this Laude Zion sequence, he says, they too who of him partake sever not, nor rend, nor break, right? You know, you're not mm. breaking Jesus when you break the host, but entire their Lord receive, whether, whether one or thousands eat, all receive the selfsame meat, nor the less for others leave, right? So, you know, when, when you're consuming Jesus, you're not like taking them all up for yourself, right? Everyone partakes of them whole and complete, no matter how many hosts there are, no matter how many pieces the hosts are breaking into, everyone is, is receiving the full and entire Christ. And so that's one example of a poetic rendering of one of his theological points from the Summa. And it's really amazing how well he does it. Thank you so much, Dr. Jared Stout. You can find his book, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Today, the feast of Pope St. John the 23rd, and we're going to talk about him next here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 13 till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Four, five. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N, risemorningshow.com. 
This month's devotion is to the Holy Rosary. St. John Paul II called the Rosary his favorite prayer, in which we meditate with Mary upon the mysteries which she, as a mother, meditated on in her heart. The Rosary is one of the most cherished prayers of our Catholic faith. Join in this devotion to Mary and strengthen our connection to Our Lady with rosary beads, bracelets, boxes, pouches, and rings. Available at EWTNRC.com. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Trent Horn is here. Ask Trent anything. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 11 minutes before the hour, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has made another appeal for peace and justice in the Holy Land as war rages between Israel and Hamas militants. The Custos of the Holy Land has said he fears that the Palestinian Christian population could disappear. And abortion in North Carolina, according to the Guttmacher Institute, fell by more than 30 percent in one month after the state's 12-week abortion ban went into effect. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, we've had a couple of feasts like this this week. Uh, Normally, when a saint is canonized and their date assigned to the calendar, it's the day that they die. Mm -hmm. Um, But earlier this week, we celebrated the feast of St. John Henry Newman, whose October 9th feast is not the day that Newman died, but rather the date that he was received into the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the same kind of situation with Pope St. John the 23rd, who uh, was not put on the calendar on June 3rd. Uh, he died on June 3rd, 1963, but rather he's today, October the 11th, and of course that marks the anniversary. It was October 11th in 1962 that the Second Vatican Council was opened. So Indeed. it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. What is uh, also interesting uh, about that is, you know, he died on June the 3rd in 1963. It was in 1964 that the people we celebrate on June the 3rd, the Ugandan martyrs, mm. were canonized by the guy who came after him. There's a little side little side piece there. Well, that's neat. Isn't that neat? Let me see. Who's Is there any major feast day other than the martyrs of Uganda on June Oh, uh, I should go back and look. I don't I didn't think, think so. To, I yeah. didn't think to look. A lot um, of times it's because, you know, the death day is on a significant feast day already and so they pick one so that we can celebrate them in their own right but well bear in mind uh the october 11th date uh has been marked in a few ways by the church over the years including uh in 1992 it was october 11th in 1992 on the 30th anniversary of the opening of the second vatican council that an extraordinary synod of bishops kind of put that project out to the world that we know now as the catechism of the catholic Catholic Church. church indeed so the birthday of the opening of the Second Vatican Council and the birthday of the Catechism are on the same date. Are in fact the same. So the Catechism is then 31 years old today. Is that right? It's, whatever it is, it's 30 years older than the Second Vatican Council. Right. There you go. There you go. Um, Matt, uh, did you see the picture I sent you? Oh, uh, a little... Uh painting of john the 23rd john, in there. john the 23rd is in, is the, in, in your if office you're gonna watch the video live stream you can see john the 23rd here in studio with me uh the microphone right up to his mouth 
Travis is going to pull it up, I think, if he can oh. get it, if he can get the. Oh, that's Paul Lockman, Travis. <laughs> Paul Lockman and John the 23rd do not get uh, that, often okay, confused. Okay, those of you watching the video live stream, that was not John the 23rd just <laughs> We'll see if John the Twenty Third can uh, can pop he up can here. But Matt, I've been reading through Pacham and Terrace this morning. Oh, there he mm. is in the studio, Pope John the Twenty Third. There he is. You no, know, Paul Lockman's wearing his Expos hat in there. Yeah, he is. And he his is blue indeed. jacket's hoodie. Okay, so I have been in this Catholic political thought course with the Institute of Catholic Culture. Sure, with uh, taught uh, by Dr. Dr. Chad Pecknold. Indeed. And so we've been going through, I mean, it's basically just been, um, you know, traipsing through the, the great papal encyclicals in, in Catholic social teaching, Catholic political thought. And we have not gotten to John the 23rd yet. I think he's in a couple of weeks yet. We're, um, we're currently in Leo the 13th. So week two of Leo the 13th. But Pachamenteris is... I mean, I've, I'm not even that far into it yet and am just amazed by, by how, how simple it all seems and yet how far we have strayed as a human society in terms of this, um, you know, our adherence to individual rights, the individual being the basic unit of society and our rights being paramount and how problematic that becomes and how quickly problematic it becomes. You he, look at every hot button issue going in the campaign trail right now, and they all have to do with someone pitting an individual right mm-hmm. against another individual right, which is an interesting thing that we've evolved this far as a society, um, except, well, there are a number of ways that we got here. One of them was by uh, deleting the theological principle of a visible church and going to yes. individual salvation as a primary principle going back to the Reformation. But yeah. the church has never said that the individual is the basic unit of society. Nope. The church has always said that something else is the basic unit and of John society. And John Twenty-Third stresses that at the very beginning of Pachamenteris, that the family is the basic unit of society. It is the family in which we learn to live in community. He writes... To cite a few examples, the right of every man to life is correlative to the duty to preserve it. His right to a decent standard of living with the duty of living it becomingly and his right to investigate the truth freely with the duty of seeking it ever more completely and profoundly. And this is where I think our modern times have very much gone astray is in the focus on us as individuals, we have lost sight of the common good, that our our right – I mean, there was never a time when individuals didn't have rights. I mean, you go back to the Middle Ages when there was kings ruling everything, or you even go back to, like, Greek times with uh, – like, there were – you had rights as a human person. They were never – but when we start making that the – the basic form of governance in protecting individual rights. It, we've lost sight of our own duty to society in exchange for those rights. Think about the classic libertine line you hear tossed around in, about an American society. Do whatever you want so long as you don't hurt anybody. Well, that's a lot harder to stick to if you live in a house yeah. with a family. 
Yeah, it is. <laughs> You've certainly got to figure out that maybe your things that you do actually hurt people yeah. in ways that you don't realize. Yeah. This, by the way, is the key to understanding Laudato Si as well. Yes. Pope Francis is like, no wonder you guys blow everything up. You, can, you don't even know what a family is. <laughs> We're well, back again tomorrow. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.